Welcome to No Baller. I am Chris Rawl. It is Tuesday, July 6th. Welcome back from the long weekend on today's show, The Infinite Avenues to Success. Before we get to that, I want to give you one reason why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah. Now, I am a person who has some strange beliefs when it comes to sports. One of those is there's karmic forces in the universe that somehow care about my sports gambling. And I've been betting the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, I've been siding with Montreal. Game one, game two, game three. Loss, loss, loss. And as I've said before in this segment, you need to go down with the sinking ship. That's one of these karmic forces that I believe in because it will end the series. You don't have to think about it again. And there's not other opportunities for you to lose a bet. Last night is game four. And I go contrary to my own belief in the karmic forces of gambling and how they apply to me. And I say, I'm going to bet... Tampa Bay minus one and a half, plus 160. Tampa Bay goes down 1-0, and I double down because I'm a dumbass, and everybody knows this. And I go, I'm going to go live bet Tampa Bay's money line to make up for the original one, and I'll be able to come out on top as long as Tampa Bay wins. So I live bet them at the end of the first period, plus 135. So now the karmic forces are coming into play. Tampa ties it, Montreal goes up, Tampa ties it. Uh, there's a high-sticking penalty with one minute to go in the third period tie game. Up until this point, Tampa has controlled play. They've drilled three posts. Braden Points hit one. Victor Hedman's hit one. Nikita Kucherov hits one with under five minutes to go. It seems like Tampa is ready to break through and end the game, and they just can't because there's something preventing them from doing so. You tell me what it is. So a minute to go, Shea Weber, high stick. Cuts Andre Palat's face. Four-minute double minor for Tampa Bay, the most fearsome power play in hockey. And I, I'm sitting at home, and I say, okay, here's the time. Uh, all they got to do is get a goal. This game is over. It seems reasonable to assume that they'll be able to do that with four minutes of power play time. Uh, they don't score. They go into overtime. Three minutes left. Don't score. Less than a minute after that, Josh Anderson comes in, scores for Montreal. I've lost another bet. Now game five awaits. Another opportunity for me to lose a bet, which I will definitely lose. And it gives us the reason why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah, because it will remind you that karma wins and you do not. And now a word from our presenting sponsor, Traeger Grills. With your Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. I am a man who believes there are infinite avenues to success. Uh, I think a common misconception that is thrown about is that there's only one correct way to do something. There's only one correct way to build a business. There's only one correct way to get in shape. There's only one correct way to create a healthy relationship. Uh, I come from the opposite side. There's pretty much any way uh, that you can get to any of these goals that you have within your life. Um, in my past professional existence, my job was to interview entrepreneurs and businessmen and, and high-level executives about a lot of these things. How do you build a business? How did you come to turn this two-person startup into a billion-dollar or multi-billion-dollar enterprise? Uh, and I learned a lot of things through this process. Because I kind of came in with this singular mindset that mm, they probably all follow a very similar path in how this was created. And what I learned was 
there were basic principles that were adhered to by, by pretty much everybody. But for almost everyone I spoke with, there were a lot of things that were different from this person to that and that person to that. Uh, and it was enlightening to me as a person who always believes kind of in this way, that there's not one singular way to happiness. Uh, there's actually infinite ways. You just find something and you go after it. Uh, you, you put your passion into it or your love and it will flourish. And that's how you obtain what you want. Uh, that's why I always looked at these self-help books that I would see within the business world and go, this is insane. You know, books that would preach, this is how you do this thing. This is the way. When in actuality, the, you know, the market should always be, this is one of infinite ways to obtain what, what you're looking for. I think into my own personal life of things that have kind of taught me this. And I always circle back to amateur golf, an area that has taught me many things and has provided me with a lot of joy and happiness and fulfillment. Uh, and one of the things that has interested me and frustrated me at the same time about this sport is the emotional approach to being good and to finding the best version of yourself on the golf course. How do I shoot my best score? Uh, and one of these things that has really enlightened me within the sport is finding the emotional approach and comparing it to others that I play with. Uh, one of my best friends and one of the people who I golf with the most, who has been integral in my own golfing journey, he and I, we've teamed up in events. We play together all the time. Uh, we have very different approaches, how to be good or, or how to be the best versions of ourselves on the course, uh, trying to arrive at the same destination. Uh, my approach, it has to come from a place of calm, it has to come from a place of joy. It has to come from a place of this isn't the be-all, end-all uh, that it, deep in my soul I kind of want it to be, and I have to pump the brakes and go, worst-case scenario today, uh, I got exercise, and I enjoyed company of friends, and I, I played in beautiful weather, and I observed nature and all that kind of stuff, uh, and that's how I find the best version of myself on the golf course. That's how I go and shoot the best scores that I can find. comes from a place of joy and calm, uh, and he is a, a contrast to that because how he taps into his best golf is kind of the opposite. It's built upon uh, tapping into the anger that comes from hitting a bad shot, which everybody will hit. I have to approach it with calm. I have to forget about it and say, don't worry about it. Go and hit your next shot. And, and he seizes onto it and he goes, I'm not doing that again. And I'm going to be very angry about that shot. And that's how I'm going to inspire myself to be better. Uh, and his approach, it involves sometimes I need to toss a club out into a lake or sometimes I need to bash this or bash that or scream out loud or all that kind of stuff. And we both arrive in the same place. You know, we can get to the end of the round and our scorecard will both say 70. And if you watched us play or came along physically, we're doing similar things. You know, we got to make putts or we got to hit a hundred yard wedge shot or that kind of stuff. But emotionally, the approach is polar opposite. You know, it's two of the infinite ways to find what you are looking for on the golf course. Uh, this extends to the swing itself. Another part of uh, this kind of concept, this concept of infinite ways to find what you're looking for, that I found to be enlightening. Back when I was trying to break down my swing and make it better, and I was under the impression that you have to swing the golf club in a certain way. Uh, and a lot of information came to me that kind of pointed to uh, a different idea. And a lot of tour professionals 
were pointing to the same thing. Uh, I remember watching a show on the Golf Channel uh, where they talked about, hey, we're going to go through a, a lot of swings of professional golfers, the very best of the world, and show you how different all of these are in, in, way, in different ways, which goes contrary to you know, hundreds of years of golf lesson teaching. You have to swing a golf club like this in order to be successful. And now you go down the list of tour professionals, the very best in the world, and you go, Dustin Johnson, oh, he swings a golf club in a way that doesn't really align with you know, the very precise technical teaching standards. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau, you know, that's the same thing. Matthew Wolf, oh, okay. He gets to very different way of swinging the golf club. Bubba Watson, Scotty Scheffler. You know, you can go down the list of all of these people that are on tour that don't adhere to the traditional standards of the golf swing, you know. But they also show us that you don't have to have a beautiful, gorgeous swing like Adam Scott that is technically flawless, you don't have to have that in order to be the very best in the world at what you're trying to do. So we broaden out this subject because it's playoff time. And one of the main things I've been talking about for about two months now is the NBA and the NHL playoffs have ramped up and are now reaching their crescendo. Uh, How do you build a successful team that is capable of winning a championship? And I think we fall into the same trap within this question that I've fallen to in the past in certain areas and that I think just a lot of people fall into the trap in general, that there's only this singular vision or this singular approach to finding what I'm looking for, to building a successful team capable of winning a championship. That's the greatest question in sports, and yet one that I believe always has a wide variety of answers, except for one specific area. Uh, To illustrate this, I'm going to read a quote. It's from an article from Joe Smith of The Athletic, but the quote comes from Steve Kerr, the coach of the Golden State Warriors. Here's what he says. Talent is the most important thing. But once the talent is in place, you need a goal. You need a journey. You need the means to travel the journey. And culture is crucial because it builds habits and consistency and builds an environment that lets the players thrive. End quote. So we'll start with the talent piece and that statement. Talent is the most important thing. Which is always true and will always be true when it comes to sports at the very highest level. Uh, But there's also room for nuance within that particular thing because I think we fall into the trap of you have to have this specific type of talent. And in actuality, I think that you can have different types of talent and still win pulling upon those. So we'll start with just the idea of talent in general. Um, It's always been necessary for championship contention. Always has been, always will be. There's no way to cheat that system. You can't be a professional golfer at the highest level and not have talent. It's impossible. Uh, You can't step into a sport like college football and win a national title without having talent. That's why a team like Vanderbilt cannot step on the field with a team like Alabama and beat them or contend with a national title alongside them. Uh, The talent gap is much too big. It's part of why college football has kind of found this place of redundancy. The haves and the have-nots. You have teams that recruit at the very highest level, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, Oklahoma, and there's a distinct separation between teams like that and kind of the rest of the nation. Because now that we're getting into a playoff setting and you have to win two games against teams like that, or once it expands three or four or five, depending on how big it gets, 
it really shines a light on this idea. You can't cheat the system when it comes to talent. However, once the talent is in place, uh, once you're one of those teams, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, Oklahoma, um, then it becomes more about the things that I've concentrated on over the past two months, about the details, about the razor-thin margins between winning and losing, uh, and the way that each team goes about trying to nail each of those down. That's where I think there's a lot of room for discussion and just interesting observations. Uh, and then, of course, a large part of that is also luck, another thing that I'm constantly preaching on this show. So we go back to the talent aspect, uh, and we'll focus kind of on the NBA, as NBA Finals Game 1 is getting ready to ramp up tonight. Talent is always necessary to win within that sport, within every sport. Uh, but you can have a lot of different kinds of talent and a lot of different kinds of leadership and vision within that area. You look at a player like Tim Duncan, who helped spawn a dynasty with the San Antonio Spurs, just this quiet leader um, who is incredibly talented, seven-footer, Drilling bank shot after bank shot for all of time. One of the most amazing team defenders you'll ever witness. Uh, just the fulcrum of everything that San Antonio wanted to do on offense and on defense. And you compare him to somebody like MJ, uh, who also one of the most talented players in his own right of all time, but goes about his business in a much different manner. Different body size, uh, different style of play, perimeter oriented. Also incredibly efficient on offense and on defense, but did it in a much different way from Duncan. And the leadership style, it's the ruthless killer. It's the, I'm going to kick my opponent's ass every single night. And I'm going to kick my own teammates' ass until they fall into line. Uh, the quote from Steve Kerr, teammates at one point with Michael Jordan, Jordan punches him in practice because he didn't like what he was doing. Uh, and this has fed into the myth of Jordan, or the mythology of Jordan. Part of it, I think, a little bit is myth, but most of it is truth. Uh, if Jordan didn't like what you were doing, he would just browbeat you until you fell into place or you were gone. That was his leadership style. Uh, and that's how he tapped into his talent and his ability to lead a team. We look at the NBA Finals this year and there's a very different style of play and leadership. Chris Paul, the excessive perfectionist, who in the past, it maybe has worked to his detriment. Uh, just this almost nagging presence, a uh, basketball savant who understands everything on the court. At the highest level, he'll know more about basketball uh, from 10 seconds than me or you or anyone will ever know in their entire lifetime. He just understands at a level that's really hard for someone like me to comprehend. Uh, it's just genius, right? And yet he tries to superimpose that onto his teammates, which is an unfair ask because nobody comprehends basketball at the level Chris Paul does. And that has worked against him at times. Uh, the Clippers stopped probably most notably when he was just constantly riding everybody. Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, two dudes who don't understand basketball at the same level that Chris Paul did. Uh, and he expected perfection from them in the way that he expected it from himself. Uh, and that was unrealistic of him to expect. And it kind of fractured that team. And they never really fully were able to get to what they wanted, a championship. Uh, we shift gears into another sport, the Tampa Bay Lightning. And they're also a tale of talent. They lose last night against Montreal in game four. They're still up 3-1 in that series. Uh, it seems like only a matter of time before they win, before they go back-to-back, -back, Stanley Cups. And they're a team that has had all the talent in the world for going on seven years now. Uh, but it's only really been realized these last two. The first five years, as I've talked about in other shows, it was that baptism by fire. It's that journey of heartbreak that every championship team kind of has to go through. 
It's making one Stanley Cup final. It's making two Eastern Conference finals game seven and losing in all three of those. Flame out first round against the Columbus Blue Jackets as enormous favorites getting swept actually by them. And through that process of, of chiseling out a better version of yourself, um, Tampa Bay finds their way. You know, It's the balance between trusting the process, trusting this vision, trusting these details that you're putting into place and adaptability. It's kind of the hardest blend you can possibly find because usually you'll skew more towards one than the other. It's either the rigid trusting the process or not trusting the process and going, we have to adapt and really changing the identity of your team or yourself as a player. Um, The Lightning have found a great balance. They've always had that talent into place. Highest talent or highest level of talent in the world when it comes to hockey. Uh, best defenseman you can find, Victor Hedman. Best goaltender in the world when he's rocking and rolling, Andre Vasilevsky. Uh, an incredibly high-end forward core, Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov, Steven Stamkos, like three of the best forwards you can possibly find. And yet that wasn't enough for five years for one reason or another. Uh, and they had to accentuate that. They had to fill in the margins. And so they were always trying to adapt in that area. The identity, it stayed the same. Trust in the high-end talent, but we can work along the margins. And one of the revelations of last year's cup run, one of the revelations of this year's playoff run, has been their third line. Yanni Gord, Barclay Goodrow, Blake Coleman. uh, A joy to watch as a hockey fan. Because they do everything that is necessary within playoff hockey. You know, they'll score you enormous goals. Think about Blake Coleman's falling down, chipping it over the shoulder of Carey Price. The end of the second period in game two, the the eventual game-winning goal. Uh, they'll go into the corner, they'll muck it up. They'll make high-level play after high-level play, something you don't really expect from a third line. Uh, Last night, Barclay Goodrow, he scores one of the tying goals off this incredible play from their line, from Ryan McDonough, who's playing with them. Uh, They're willing to muck it up. Last night, if you look in the uh, third period, you could see all three of these guys in the penalty box at the same time. They all get in a scrum, and they're punching and fighting and just doing the nasty stuff that sometimes playoff hockey is. They can do everything. They're adaptable, uh, and they've been a total revelation for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Two off-seasons ago, or two, actually during the season, they trade for Coleman and they trade for Goodrow. And they were integral to last year's cup run. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, they've found a good balance between those two things. The talent and the vision and how much you need to adapt in order to win. And now they're staring down possibly a second straight Stanley Cup. That's what every team is searching for. So game one of the NBA Finals is tonight. Bucks Suns, who have pieced together teams that definitely have talent. You know, there's no way around that. Giannis, Middleton, Drew Holiday on the other side, Paul, Booker, Aiton. But it's not the highest of high level talent when it comes to a full team. You know, I think if we're being honest and all teams were healthy, you would look at teams like the Lakers or the Nets, and you'd say, these are the most talented teams. But this is part of championship contention, and it's part of trusting in a vision. Uh, It's part of the understanding that luck plays a role in determining who wins a championship. Uh, This is not a knock on either of these teams. You know, this is part of the game. The Bucs, in order to be here, yeah, they took advantage of Harden and Kyrie getting injured in that Nets series. They took advantage of Trey Young going down in the Hawks series. On the other side, the Suns, they took advantage of LeBron 
and AD being injured. They took advantage of Jamal Murray being injured in the Nuggets series. They took advantage of Kawhi Leonard not being available in the Clippers series. This is all part of the tale of contending for a championship. You put talent into place, so luck can matter. That's one of the main things that I think people always forget when we're looking at, is this team a championship contender? Uh, You get further down the list, you get past the second and third and fourth place teams, and I think the common reaction is to say, well, yeah, this team has noticeable flaws and they're not going to be able to win because of these flaws. And a lot of times that's true. But you put yourself into that position in case there's a year like this where luck does play a factor and because you have enough talent, you are now in position to win a title. I'm going to read another quote from the Joe Smith article of The Athletic. Uh, This one comes from Nick Saban, coach of Alabama. We don't have any signs up that say win a national championship or win the SEC championship. I tell the players the outcomes are distortions. Let's just focus on the details. As soon as you worry about winning as opposed to the next play, that's when you get in trouble. End quote. Outcomes are distortions. Probably about the most crusty-ass Nick Sabanism you'll ever find, but one that has a lot of intrigue to me because that's something that is constantly preached within the world of golf. Outcomes are distortions. Uh, you have to be able to separate what happened on a shot versus how you actually performed on the shot. I've referenced this a lot on the show, but I control what I can control. I hit a seven iron as good as I can hit it. Sometimes the wind does something differently in midair. Sometimes it hits a sprinkler head. Sometimes it hits this or that. And the outcome is disastrous compared to what I actually did, which was hit a shot at a high level that didn't necessarily uh, reflect that on the scorecard. Now, this is true. You know, the outcomes are distortions, That's a big proponent within success at a high level because you have to be able to separate from the outcome many, many times. I go back to that balance between trusting your process, whatever that may be, and and the outcome itself and, and finding adaptability. You know, it's one of the hardest things you can possibly do in building a championship contender. I look at the team within my own state right now, and they're at an interesting precipice between these two conflicting ideas that somehow have to work in unison with one another. The Utah Jazz, who suffered a very uh, sad and shattering defeat against the Clippers in the second round. And luck played a role in that somewhat. They had people injured. Kawhi went down. I mean, there were so many things that went into this. But at the end of the day, the Jazz, they're on this journey where they have to go Okay, let's separate from the outcome. Uh, It's a distortion to us. What can we learn about ourselves? How much of this loss was about our identity itself? About our current roster, the talent that's there? And how much of it is just wrong place, wrong time? And if a couple things go differently, maybe we were in the Western Conference Finals. Maybe we were beyond that. They're looking in the mirror and trying to decide what is fact and what is fiction. Always the hardest part when it comes to self-reflection on a championship, championship journey. Uh, this extends to playing style. Um, and one of the ideas that I find most interesting within sports and one that I always am kind of arguing about with other people, the idea that just because a team hasn't won with a specific playing style, it doesn't mean that it's not a winning style. Uh, again, this goes back to outcomes are distortions. You got to separate from those two things. They're infinite avenues to success. Again, 
So I think we fall into the familiar trope that, well, the last five championship teams have won doing this specific thing. So that will always be the case. And I always kind of push back and go, I mean, there's a litany of examples over the history of time about you can win championships in different ways. Sports are always constantly evolving. And the things that are a pathway to success in present day might not necessarily be that a year down the road or five years or 10 years or 20 years. Um, and, and there are a lot of examples of this. As you trace the, the history of sports within even the recent past, um, the seven seconds or less sons, the Mike D'Antoni, Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire, Sean Marion sons from the mid-2000s, they're a great example of this because they played a style that was very different from what was going on at the time. Pace, space, three-point shooting, all the stuff that now comprises winning basketball in present day. And they were kind of ridiculed at the time for it. And as the losses piled up over the years, I think a lot of basketball fans came to the conclusion that this is not a winning style. They're just concentrating on offense and, and you can't really win doing this. And now we've seen that to not be true. Yeah, the Suns, they never won a championship doing that. Uh, we're now going on five plus years of an NBA that is all about that. Pace and space and three-point shooting. It's become the winning style in basketball. Uh, college football has kind of gone through a similar transformation. The team that I look back on is Chip Kelly and the Oregon Ducks. You know, roughly 15 years or so ago, they start to lean into the vision of themselves as a high-octane, just play-after-play-after-play style of offense. Spread them out and hit them with pace. And it was revolutionary at the time. Nobody was really doing stuff like that. And Oregon built their own identity based upon that. This high-octane offense, passing, running, spread the defense out, and tire them out through this relentless style of, as soon as a play is over, get up to the line, line it up, go, 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 go. Uh, and they built a team that was incredible for that time. One that ended up ultimately falling short when it comes to winning a championship. Um, they came close. They lost on a field goal at the buzzer to Auburn in the national title game. Uh, and right after Chip Kelly left, they ended up making the national championship game again and losing to Ohio State and Z. Kelly and Urban Meyer and that team. Very close. Enough for someone like me to understand, well, you change one thing and this is a championship team. And we're looking back on that time and going, Oregon Ducks, they revolutionized football. They were, you know, they understood their championship vision. They leaned into it and they realize that in the moment because they won a championship and instead they lost on a field goal at the buzzer and they lost to Ohio state and they're not going to be remembered as a championship team. Despite the fact that that style of play revolutionized college football and many teams have now won national titles built upon that same idea, spread teams out, uh, lean into pace. We've seen that with all the national champions about of the last 10 years, spread style attacks. Clemson has leaned into it. Alabama has completely transformed the way they play offense because of it. LSU and the Joe Burrow team, there's so many examples of this style of offensive football being successful. And yet at the time, a lot of people, just like we did with the seven seconds or less sun, looked at it and said, well, it hasn't won, so it's not a winning style. Uh, for this team, outcome was a distortion. Um, and the infinite avenues to success, it was realized after their time, unfortunately for that team, but it's cool looking back on in present day. Uh, the team in hockey that I gravitate towards now, it's my own. It's the Colorado Avalanche, who are 
trying to shape an identity and lean into how they are going to win a championship. Something that hasn't necessarily been done in the way that they're going about doing it. It's leaning into accumulating skill and not accumulating these traditional physical hockey players that I think a lot of uh, hockey fans and management say you have to have in order to win in the playoffs. Um, And this is really reflected in the way that Colorado has built their defense core. It's small, mobile, puck-moving defensemen. Again, this goes contrary to how defense has always existed in the past. It's big. It's bulky. uh, It's just get the puck out of the zone and worry about the rest later. Colorado is trying an opposite approach, and they haven't won a Stanley Cup doing that. Uh, And they're at a similar point in the offseason that a team like the Jazz or any of these other teams that have lost, they're trying to go through the process. Um, Outcome is distortion. How much of our vision is true? How much is false? And how much do we need to adapt? That's what Colorado is looking at right now. So I'm going to read one more quote uh, from Joe Smith of The Athletic. This one comes from Bruce Arians, the Super Bowl winning coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and his own coaching style approach. I'm going to get on your ass and it's going to be ugly. I'm not taking it to you personally. Your football sucks, but you're a hell of a guy. I'll get on a guy's ass extremely hard, but I'll find him in the locker room to make sure he's okay. They tend to know who I am. You find out quickly, and my door is always open. But don't come in here and expect anything sugar-coated. You're going to get the truth. End quote. So we circle back to where we started, the infinite avenues to success. Uh, and this extends to coaching. And this extends to a person like Bruce Arians, all the ass getting on, which he seems very interested in doing. Football sucks, but I'll tell you you're a hell of a guy, you know, kind of this double style approach. And there are a million ways that you can be successful as a coach within any sport. Uh, Bruce Arians, he adheres to the style like Bill Belichick or Nick Nick Saban uh, rule with the iron fist. I'm going to get on your ass time and time again about every mistake you make, and that's the way that I'm going to hammer them out, and you're going to be a better player for it. And we've seen coaches win with kind of a diametric opposite approach. Think of your Phil Jacksons or your Steve Kerr's, uh, the velvet glove, you know. I'm going to get into your mind, and I'm going to talk things out, and it's more of a cerebral style of, okay, let's have a discussion here, you know, Uh, more of a human style discussion rather than the traditional scream at you and and hack out a better player through that way. Now, all these coaches, they've all won championships. They've all had talent at their disposal. Again, very important thing to remember. But they've won with drastically different coaching tactics and in some cases, culture tactics. You know, the way that these coaches go about hammering down the details, the way that these coaches go about finding and attacking the razor-thin margins, it's different. They can all find different things that work for who they have on their roster in any given year and what works for them over the course of time. Uh, It extends to the strategies, as I've talked about, the different ways you can find success, the different ways you can win a championship. I referenced Alabama in football and the way that they won championships in the early days of Nick Saban's career. The best defense in the nation, ground-and-pound attack on offense, Handed off to a Heisman winning tailback again and again and again. 
you know, whether that's Mark Ingram or Trent Richardson or go down the list of all these great tailbacks that have played there. And then they shifted and they embraced kind of the style that Oregon played. And they said, oh, well, this is where college football is headed. All right, we'll be the best at that too. And they form an offense with Tua and Mac Jones and just all these wide receivers, Jerry Judy and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and Henry Ruggs go down the list. And now they're winning national championships in that way. Two very different ways of winning a championship when it comes to on-field tactics. Uh, basketball, you look at the suffocating defense of last year's Lakers championship team, and you compare that to the scoring explosion style of the first Warriors championship team. Two ways of getting to the same place. Uh, and then this extends to talent itself. You have to have it in place, but you can have different style of talent and win with it. There's always different avenues that you can take. Hockey, it could be Sidney Crosby. Uh, who is just the all-around player that you know every coach dreams of. Defensive zone, offensive zone, scores when you need it, passes when he needs it, just does everything. It could be Alex Ovechkin. Both of them have won cups. Ovechkin, greatest goal scorer of his generation, maybe of all time. A dude who has a singular skill that is so damn good that it's almost hard to comprehend. You go to football and you know you look at the quarterbacks and you look at Brady... You compare him to Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes, all incredibly talented, all Super Bowl winning quarterbacks, all go about it in different ways. Brady and Mahomes, they're, they're more uh, two peas in the pod style than Brady. Brady, it's the details. It's about understanding everything, uh, and it's about just the leadership style, the picking a part of a defense. Rodgers and Mahomes, it's a combination of that, but with... When a play breaks down, we have such an incredible ability to manufacture something out of nothing that a defense can't plan for that. Uh, That's a different style than what Brady brings, but they're both arriving into the same destination. Basketball, you know, I went through Duncan versus Jordan versus someone like Paul who hasn't won a championship, but he's trying to this year. And you go down the greats of all time, and it's kind of a similar story. LeBron different way of getting to the same place. Steph Curry, very different way of getting to the same place. This year's finals, even the two main players, Chris Paul against Giannis Antetokounmpo, two incredibly gifted basketball players in their own right, but the point God versus the Greek freak, one who it's the most cerebral brand of basketball you'll ever see versus one who's just this overwhelming athletic force who's just going to browbeat you into submission through sheer physicality. Uh, These are all different things. But they all tie into today's theme. They all tie into the thing that I find to be very fascinating and the thing that is one of the great gifts of life when it comes to everything, you know, not just building a championship team, just the way you go about your business, Uh, that there are endless ways to arrive at the same destination. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.